Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. Today, we're going to be talking about 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. We have a lot to cover, and we have a 90-minute podcast uh, time limit, so let's just jump right in. First, let's get our minds ready for what we're about to talk about. The prophets of old that spoke spoke things that was revealed to them. In 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 and 2, Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, The man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Faithful prophets didn't just sit down and write or go stand before an audience and say things that were from their own mindset or their own thoughts. In Numbers chapter 16 and verse 28, Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do these works, for I have not done them of my own mind. When we look at the words of prophets, we need to understand that true prophets didn't just create things. They didn't just say, here's what I think God wants you to do. And Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 20 says, The prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. You can clearly see how God looked at those that would come and say, God showed me this or God showed me that. In Jeremiah 14, 14, along the same line of thought, the Lord said unto me, that is Jeremiah the prophet, the prophets prophesied lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision, a divination, a thing of naught, and the deceit of their heart. In Jeremiah 23, 14 through 16, I have seen also the prophets of Jerusalem, an horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers that none of them did re doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. From, from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not. Unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you, they make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. So if a man calling himself a prophet were to say something that he thought up in his own mind or had in his own personal dream, much like you and I today, you probably have dreams. If I sleep long enough, I have dreams. Well, those aren't from God. Those are things that are generated of our own mind. I can't stand before the assembly on the first day of the week and say, brethren, behold, I had a dream this week. No, it's not from God. It's not a vision of God. It's not declared of God. We can't bring it forth as though it is of God. That being said, prophets of old did see visions. They did have dreams. They were given messages. I'm going to string together a few scriptures here to, to let you get the idea of how God communicated to the prophets. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 6, he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I will speak unto him in a dream. And 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 32, says, The rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness 
Behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, and in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So you look at the book of Jeremiah or book of Isaiah, rather, it's a book of vision. Isaiah was given visions. In Jeremiah 28, verse 9, the prophet which prophesieth of peace, when the words of that prophet shall come to pass, then they shall know the prophet be known, that the Lord hath truly sent him. So they could see, hey, what this prophet said was going to happen did happen. We get a great advantage. We know Isaiah is true because of the things that he prophesied. Some of the prophecies we're going to talk about in this very lesson came forth out of the mouth of, of Isaiah. So we look at the 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah. We know this man was a man of God. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, and the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chabar, that the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. So prophets had dreams and visions, and the visions were looking up and seeing things, right? And Hebrews, the first chapter, the first two verses, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God, who at sundry times in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So we look at, at the Old Testament times. The law was given through prophets. Now we'll talk about as we go through this lesson, angels and different things that were involved in the declaration of, of things in the old law, but they were by prophets. And that doesn't downplay that there weren't prophets in the first century. We'll talk in part about that as well. But those prophets were revealing things that Christ gave to them through the Holy Spirit. All of these things you're going to see come out in some of the scriptures we're going to look at in this very lesson today. Concerning what we are going to be looking at, what we're going to study through, it's interesting to think about this, that secrets were given to the prophets. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7 says this. It says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants the prophets. Now with that in mind, when we look in the first century, we, we get a clear context that shows us when things were revealed, even in the first century, it wasn't all at once and it didn't have complete explanations. So a prophet or an apostle might have a vision, they might have a dream, God might communicate unto them, but it was in part. And sometimes that revelation was unclear. It left the messenger seeing things darkly, which means obscurely. They didn't have a clear understanding of what they were seeing. So when we're reading the words of the prophets, they're telling us what God revealed them, what God revealed unto them, but they're not giving us explanations. This is where a lot of people err in Bible study where they study sometimes the things the prophets have said, and they come to conclusions that the prophets did not reveal. You have to put together things written in the New Testament with the prophets of old to be able to see the complete whole picture, okay? Notice the language that Paul used that gives us what I was just talking about. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13, this is in the greater context of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, talking about spiritual gifts. Paul wrote, Charity never faileth, but whether it be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether it be tongues, they shall cease. Whether it be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. So when the full revelation comes, 
we have now the full revelation of God, then prophecies and tongues, they ceased. Spiritual knowledge giving directly, that ceased. Paul goes on to explain, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. So Paul is pointing out spiritual gifts are going to come to a conclusion. But at the time Paul's writing this, he sees obscurely. He knows in part. In fact, Paul is going to be dead before the final written new words or words of the new covenant are even given. So he never lived to see the full revelation that we now have in written form today. So with all of that in mind, I want you to listen to what we're going to be talking about. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 reads, of which salvation, remember last week we talked about receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Of many verses that we're going to be studying in First Peter, I find this to be a magnificent part of our study. To, to, to be able to, to see through the words of Peter and, and to put it all together throughout the Bible that great men like Moses, great men like Abraham, great men like Daniel the prophet, we're going to talk a little bit about, about in, in this text, great or in this podcast, great men like Ezekiel, that these men were shown visions from God, but they didn't understand everything they were seeing. They knew that they were talking about future things to come, especially as it relates to Christ. Some of them were prophesying of nearer future events. Isaiah was prophesying about Cyrus bringing the children of Israel out of captivity. Jeremiah was talking about the 70 years of captivity and coming out of captivity. Ezekiel was talking about things in captivity. But they were also showing things of future events as it's relative to us. Wow, that is marvelous. And when you put other things together, and when you start thinking about how the prophets inquired and searched diligently, specifically of the salvation to come through Christ, well, think about things that Jesus said. In Matthew 13, 17, uh, as he had delivered the parable of the sower and, and, and was giving uh, explanations thereof in the context, for verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. So the prophets, 
they knew enough to know something magnificent was coming in the future in regards to our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord, our King, our prophet, our priest, but they didn't get to see and hear what, what is now revealed. In Luke 10, 24, I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them and hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. So think about this. If you, if you can just, just let your mind come a little bit and, and think about some words that are written in the Bible. In Genesis 49.10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Can you imagine how confusing that prophecy would be? And, and what it could lead to if you were aware of it. Like you, you could be in Egypt because we know when we come into the book of Exodus that there arise a Pharaoh that does not know Joseph and the people are put in bondage. Uh, would you be thinking now is what Genesis 49, not that they would say this is what Genesis 49.10 said, the Bible being d divided up into uh, chapters and verses and books didn't exist like that then. But if they were aware uh, to any degree of that prophecy, if we didn't have passages in the Bible like Hebrews 7 and verse 14, that it's evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood, we couldn't understand Genesis 49.10. We have the explanation because we have the whole revelation. Or prophecies like Isaiah 7, 13 and 14. And he said, Hear now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men. But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now for you and I, this isn't all that mysterious. But what in the world would that have meant then? There's no explanation. There's no explanation given to Isaiah that Isaiah could pass on. We can come over at Matthew, 18, or Matthew 1, 18 through 25, where it says the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take thee, Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son... And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, took him unto his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus." We get that advantage of that explanation, but they didn't have that advantage. We read scriptures like Psalm 16, 7 through 11. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope for thou will not leave my soul in Hades or there it would be Sheol, hell is the King James translation, neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. 
Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. What in the world's all that mean? Well, if left on its own, think about Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. What's that mean? Mark 12, 36. David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Even then, what's that mean? Well, then we, 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 we can look at Acts 2, 25 through 31. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he's on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice. My tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou will not leave my soul in Hades. Neither shall thou suffer the Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou make me full of joy in thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn in him an oath that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing his soul, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. See, we, we can look at all of that and we can say, wow, yeah, I have no idea what David was prophesying of here in the Psalms, but. When I put together what's written in the New Testament, now I get it. Now I understand. Yeah, then, then, then we can put things together. When, when, when we look at those prophecies, though, on their own, by themselves, think about how lost you'd be. What about sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool? Well, we can flip over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 25 and 26. He must reign till they put all enemies under his foot. Feet, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And we can put that in context, talking about the resurrection, the final resurrection. We can know, hey, look, God has fulfilled his word. What's that mean to them? What's, what's that mean? When Philip and uh, John 1, 45, findeth Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. How they know what they're looking for? When you think of things that Moses said, like in Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 19, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak unto them that I shall command him, and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. How do we know Moses is talking about Jesus? Because Acts 3, 22 through 26 tell us. It says, for Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in the things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which shall not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken have likewise foretold these days. You're the children of the prophets, the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and I seed shall all the kindred of the earth be blessed. Unto you, First, God hath raised up his son, Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. See, we have the advantage where we can, we can look at the scriptures and we can put it together. But imagine being Jeremiah and writing Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, speaking these words, says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them 
by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, No, Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them unto the greatest, saith Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. When's he talking about? You know, if you're Jeremiah, it'd be easy to say, well, this is talking about as soon as that we come out of captivity. Once we come back and rebuild uh, Jerusalem, think about being that next generation. You could be rather confused. Well, we don't have to be confused because we have the fully revealed word of God. We have the new covenant explaining what that is. It is about the new covenant. It's not talking about coming out of Babylon. Hebrews 8, 7 through 13 for if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I'll make a new covenant with the house of, of Israel and the house of Jacob. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers day that I took them to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continue not my covenant, and I regard them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my laws in their mind, write them in their hearts, and it will be unto them a God, shall be unto me a people. I shall know shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man's brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I'll be merciful of their righteousness and their sins and their iniquities, while I remember no more. And that he saith, A new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and wax old is ready to vanish away. And if you keep reading chapter 9 and through chapter 10 and verse 22, it is clearly the New Testament that those prophecies were talking about. The forgiveness of sins... Acts 10, 43, to him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believed in him shall receive the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. That wasn't possible under the law of Moses. Again, you keep reading Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10. All of that's made clear. The blood of bulls and goats, as Hebrews 10 starts off with, could not take away sins. The blood of Christ. Christ was prepared coming into this world, given flesh to be a sacrifice. Beautiful and wonderful that we can put all those things together. But without the new covenant, they'd be a mystery. They'd be confusing. You wouldn't know what's being talked about. I want you to think about being under the old law or even prior to the law of Moses and seeing into the future and being taught of things to come. You know, for example, in John 8, 56, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. How far? From afar off. In Galatians 3, 7 through 9, Know you therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful, faithful Abraham. That's what Abraham knew, but not like we know it. Revelation was very unclear at times and even troubling to the prophets. Daniel stands out here as a great illustration of this. Uh, we get to see closely into to some of the things these prophets went through. Let, let me run through some, some scriptures in the book of Daniel. Daniel 4, 5. Daniel says, I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. And Daniel 7, 15, I, Daniel, was grieved in the spirit in the midst of my body and the visions of my head 
troubled me. And Daniel 7, 28, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed me, but I kept the matter in my heart. And Daniel 8, 27, And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business. I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. And Daniel 10, 8, Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption. I retained no strength. Ladies and gentlemen, think about what the prophets went through. I am so thankful unto them. What misery that must have been. I don't know about you, but when I'm studying the scriptures and I come across something that's confusing to me, I, I put everything else aside. I clear my mind and I start digging in. But I'll tell you what happens. 99.9999% of the time, I find the answer. And then, then I'm content. I'm happy. Think about not being able to find the answer, that it is a perpetual mystery unto you. When you're reading Daniel's words, you know, visions in my head troubled me. You know, the cogitations troubled me, astonished at the vision. When, when you, you see that he had no strength in him, those words we read, wow, how troubling that would be. Think about Peter, even in the first century, he has this vision, Acts 10, 9 through 17. Now, he immediately gets the answer in the context. He's not like Daniel who dies without answers. But nonetheless, I want you to think about the process of this vision. In Acts 10, 9 through 17, on the morrow as they went on their journey, and drew nigh unto the city. Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour and became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it hath been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to earth, wherein were all the manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again unto heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry from Simon's house and stood before the gate. Now, as you go through that context, he, it becomes apparent to him. This is about Cornelius and his household, Gentiles being converted. But at that moment, at the time of that vision, he doubted in himself what the vision he'd seen could have meant. I mean, think about what would be going through your mind. Am I really this hungry? What in the world is happening to me? Man, I must be starving. Like, I have no idea what would be. Uh, your mind would be racing, right? And, and then it's taken up into heaven, and then what, what, what's going on? Man, I should never let myself be this hungry again, right? Right? Think about that. Folks, I want you to come back and think about what we're talking about of which salvations the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. And, and then it was revealed to them that not to themselves, but unto us they did minister these things. These guys are dead before the new covenant begins. 
dead before Jesus steps foot on earth. Hundreds of years or thousands of years have gone by. Think about how mysterious those prophecies were and what it would have been like not only to be the prophet, but the people to whom the prophet was teaching. Was this coming? Is this coming? Is this coming? And then, hey, if the words of that prophet don't come to pass, would you be thinking, this guy lied to me. Nothing's happened. Nothing's happened. They didn't know how far off these prophecies were. Think about the disadvantage of being among God's people of old. We take it far for granted that when we're reading prophecies, we can come in the New Testament and say, oh, that's what that's talking about. They couldn't. They couldn't. And you know what? Our faith is built on their shoulders. Think about to whom you ought to be thankful. What they had to go through. I'd rather be beaten a thousand times a day than to go through the mental anguish that you read from Daniel. I hate not knowing something that our Lord is telling us that pertains to the salvation of my soul. I'm digging and digging and digging until I find it. How about you? And and then, not only those of old, but the unclarity that was in some of these prophecies. You know, when, when I'm teaching about prophecies, there are some things that I've heard preachers say, oh, this is talking about this or that. And I kind of scratch my head and I say, I'm not so sure that that's what the prophet was talking about. I tend to stick with as Isaiah the prophet said, or as David said, where we can clearly tie it together, right? I want you to think about how unclear it was to people who were watching the prophecies unfold. In Luke chapter 24, 25 through 27, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scripture of the things concerning himself. There are people that saw Jesus put to death and, and saw him in his resurrected form, and they had no clue. These are the things the prophets were talking about. Later in that context, in Luke 24, 36 through 48, as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and afraid and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said to them, Have you here any meat? They gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you're a witness of these things. So look, they're seeing what the prophets foretold and they don't get it. They don't get it. They don't understand it seeing it. Wow. Think about the physical things that are happening that they're not understanding. Oh, and speaking of things happening that you're not understanding, not only were the messages that prophets received and not just prophets of the old law, under the old law, but even New Testament prophets, some of what they went through in a vision, I mean, it, it, it boggles my mind. 
reading about it. Like Ezekiel chapter 37, 1 through 14, says, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me, caused me to pass by them round about. Behold, there were very many in an open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And they answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and bring upon flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh that came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off from our parts. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of the graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. O my people, and brought you out of the graves, and you shall and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. And that you shall know that I, Lord, has spoken and performed it, thus saith the Lord. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Being the prophet that gets taken and sat down in the midst of dead, dry bones and then prophesying life into them and then spirit into them and seeing the great army of Israel and then being told, I'm going to bring you back into the land. What? Right? Or how about John? The book of Revelation, it's revelation, not plural, revelations. It is revelation, singular. Revelation 21, 9 and 10. There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And show me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from my God. What? Imagine that. A vision of the church being restored because apostasy had come about in this manner? He takes you into a sitting high manner, uh, or mountain rather? What? It's, it's, it's hard, right? Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he explains something. He says in verse 1 through 4, It is not expedient me for, for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such a one caught up in the third heaven. And I knew such a man. Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise 
and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to, to utter. What's Paul's conclusion? I can't tell. I don't know what I saw. Was this man? What was it? I don't know. Imagine being like that. Just left with, I don't know what I was seeing. Think about those of old, like Abraham. I, I had used some language when I was talking about Abraham. I think it's important that we put uh, text to. When, when we were talking about John 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. I said he saw it afar off. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Have, have you ever looked at something from a distance and you can't make out any details, right? You can see it's an image. It looks like it might be this. And the closer and closer you draw to it, the more and more you make some distinctions because there's clearer and clearer and clearer things you can see. And how that sometimes when you see something afar off, it looks like one thing. And then as you draw nearer, it is actually completely different than what you had thought in your mind because the details change the image. These men, the, the, they saw things from afar. They didn't have all the details. We get to see them more clearly because we have the details. We get to see the whole picture put together. Imagine that. Imagine that. Ooh. So the language in 1 Peter 1 tells us that they searched it diligently. Searched diligently what? What manner of time? And Daniel chapter 12, verses 5 through 9, it says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on the side of the bank of the river and the other on the side of the bank of the river, and one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the excuse me, holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard... But I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. <laughs> How about that answer? What is it? Ah, go away. <laughs> like dismissing a five-year-old, right? Prophets dismissed. Seal up the prophecy. It's for the future. Wow. I want to come back to when you're thinking about afar off and why you'd search for what manner of time it was, how those close up didn't even get it. In Mark chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead shall mean. Look, look, they're in the presence of the Messiah. They're seeing things that are marvelous and wonderful. And Jesus makes a statement that they don't even understand. In Luke 9, 43 through 45, they're all amazed at the mighty power of God. While they wondered every one of the things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears. 
For the Son of Man should be delivered in the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not. And they feared to ask him of that saying. And John chapter 12, 12 through 16. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard Jesus was come to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. So it's like they had an aha moment, but it was later. Later. They still, after being taught by Jesus for several years and having some things explained to them, were clueless prior to Jesus' ascension into heaven about some of the greater things like the kingdom, the heavenly kingdom that Jesus established, etc. You know, we see this in Acts 1. I'm just going to begin at verse 1. The former treaties have I made in the Theophilus. This tells us this is the second letter to Theophilus. Luke is the first. It says, Of all things Jesus began both to do and to teach under the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence." When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou now at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had thus spoken these things, while they behold, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Think about this event. Jesus answered to them, It's, it's not for you to know. They're going to find out. We know in the very next chapter. But at that time, Jesus wasn't even giving them explanations. Not, not for you to know. There was a time for mysteries to be known. That wasn't it. And he foretold them that. In Mark 4, 10 and 11, when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him in the parable. And he said to them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without all things are done in parables. They knew that things were revealed to different people at different times. We're going to talk a little bit later about how those mysteries were revealed through those who learned of them. And I want to hold on to that point until we get near nearer to the end of our study. But along this line, there are other statements in the scriptures that are just marvelous to think about. Uh, I mean, one of, the, one of the contexts that just makes me marvel to this day, every time I think about it, every time I study through it, is 2 Corinthians 3, 6-13, where the Corinthians are written to this, uh, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, 
not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Talking about this between the carnal law of Moses and the spiritual law in Christ. He says, But if the manifestation of death written and engraved in stone was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of the condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. See then that we have such hope. We use great plainness of speech and not as Moses. Notice this which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now, that which is abolished is talking about the commandments and ordinances of old, Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. Moses covered his face so they couldn't see the glory. What? That, like, you don't put that together when you're reading about Moses covering his face. Not, not until... You come into 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 13, and then it's still kind of like, what? Huh? Really? It's, it's marvelous, isn't it? So they searched diligently, but they couldn't find. Searching what? Or what manner of time? Now, now the next part of that phrase is that the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify. Well, what's that mean? So let's talk about the Spirit of Christ. And Romans 8, 9 says, But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Here we see the Spirit, the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of Christ all talking about the same Spirit. What we're going to see as we put together scriptures is that's talking about the Holy Spirit. Terms that are used interchangeably, still in reference to the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's put some text together. Let's see this fold out for us. In Galatians 3, 26 through 4, 6, the Galatians are told, for you're the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now this, now I say rather, that the heir, as long as he is of a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that you might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What spirit was that? Romans 5.5 5 says, Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. That Holy Ghost, that spirit that worked in them, worked miracles. Galatians 3.1-5 says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn. You receive you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? 
He therefore that ministereth you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The Spirit that is given through faith, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the one who worked miracles among them. Tie that together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Wherefore, I give you to understand, no man speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus a curse. No man can say Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. So we're not talking about a Spirit of Christ being different from the Holy Ghost. We're talking about the same Spirit. The text goes on as we talk about the spiritual gifts given through the Spirit, which, as we talked about earlier in 1 Corinthians 13, 8-13, have now come to pass. But back to this text. Says now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is to every man to profit with all. For one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kind of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. That is one spirit. The spirit of Christ, you could call him. The spirit of God, you could call him. You call him the Holy Ghost. All speaking of the same person of deity. In Hebrews 2, 3, and 4, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed unto us by him that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. When we look at the first century and we look at this language, Christians were given the Holy Spirit, again, referred to interchangeably, the Spirit of Christ, interchangeably, the Spirit of God, interchangeably, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Now, under the old law, through the prophets, there was no physical way in which the Spirit was given. But once we come into the New Testament and we see the promise Christ gave, John the Baptist talked about, everything looking forward like, like we read in Acts 1, power was going to come upon them. Well, there are two things that happened. There was Holy Spirit baptism that we only see twice after, after Acts chapter 1. It's in Acts 2, 1 through 4, and in Acts 10 with the, the conversion of Cornelius and his household. Other than that, Holy Spirit baptism that we know came to pass, and Ephesians 4, 5, there's now only one baptism. The Holy Spirit was then only given one way. Acts 8 and Acts 19 show us that. I'm going to quickly read through these texts, and you should be able to see it pretty clearly from there and understand that this is not happening today. In Acts 5, Acts 8 rather, 5 through 24, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ in them. And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many with palsies that were lame were healed. And this there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself 
believed also and was baptized and continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then he laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw laying on the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, and whosoever I lay my hands, he may receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you keep reading, you'll see that Peter rebukes him and, and, and ask, tells him he needs to repent and that uh, Simon receives that message. But what I wanted to read to you has now made clear. The, these people were baptized, but the Holy Spirit didn't come on them until the apostles came down and laid hands on them. Simon could see the truth, the fact that the Holy Spirit was given, the Holy Ghost was given, the Spirit of Christ was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. In Acts 19, 1 through 7, it came to pass was Apollos was at Corinth. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. He sent them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, why do you ask them that question? Because through the laying on the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, Right? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said to them, unto them, what were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him who should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. They spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. Laying on the apostles' hands. Right? Now, we can be sure when Peter is writing in 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 through 12, that the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit because that is the Holy Ghost that worked through the prophets of old. All of this should come together for you real clean and nice. It should already be there. But let's say you didn't get it yet, that you're still thinking that these are multiple spirits, that Christ came in spirit formed to teach those of old and the Holy Ghost came uh, in, in the New Testament and that there are two different spirits. That's not the case. Here is, if you're not clear already, further clarification. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, notice, by the Holy Ghost. If it wasn't clear to you, it should now be. And it's not a misstatement. You know, when, we're, when we're, we use terms interchangeably and the Bible uses terms interchangeably, they're not misstatements. The Father, the Word, and the Spirit, they're one. 1 John 5 and verse 7. Revelation, whether you say it's through Christ or the Holy Ghost, all comes back to the Father. Notice this line of scriptures, okay? Just follow it. Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, sorry. Get my J going here, right? John begins with a J. John 7 and verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. So Jesus is not the originator. Even though he is the word, John 1, 1 through 14, still comes from the Father. John 8, 28 and 29. Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, 
I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath never not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. John 15, 26. When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth was perceived from the Father, he shall testify of me. John 16, 13. Howbeit when he... The spirit of truth is come. He will guide you in all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he shall show you things to come. It did not originate with Christ or the Spirit, but with the Father. And the Holy Ghost was sent in the name of Jesus from the Father. Even when Jesus says, I'm sending him, ultimately it's the Father sending him. John 14, 26. The Comforter which has come is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you things. Come bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I've said to you. So we say we live under the New Testament of Jesus Christ. That's true. That's accurate. We just need to understand that it is the Testament of Jesus Christ. It was revealed by the Holy Ghost, but it's all the will of the Father. Pretty clear, pretty simple. Scriptures put that together for us. See, we're not left... And any confusion, we have these kind of questions. We can just dig in. If you're an honest person, there are dishonest people that don't want to dig in. They just want to make all kinds of weird, strange declarations and miss the clarity of the scriptures. So the spirit of Christ did signify and testify of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Let's think back to the book of Isaiah, to Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 53 reads like this, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root of a dry ground. He that hath no form nor comeliness when he shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. he had despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne all griefs. He carried all sorrows Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes were we are healed. And like and we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice Isaiah speaking of something as though it's already done. Why? Because he's seeing a vision after it's been done. I'm going to keep reading. He was oppressed. Okay, what I, what, let me rephrase this. That, that phrase, as I'm hearing it replay in my mind, wasn't very clear. He's seeing a vision as though it was past, even though it hasn't already occurred. That, that's what I meant to say. Now, I'm going to come back and read. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before his shears is dumb, so opened he not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who should declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he hath made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of travail of his soul, shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and was numbered with the transgressors and bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now listen, if you have this prophecy and you do not have the New Testament explanation that this is Jesus, I want to show you what would happen, okay? We, we, we don't have to assume. We can know what, what would happen. Philip is sent to a man that is a eunuch. And Acts 8.30 says, Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said to him, Understandest what thou readest. Notice, notice what the eunuch says. Said him, How can I except some man should guide me? And desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which you read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb done before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. And his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life was taken from earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? See, that, that's what would happen to us if we didn't have New Testament explanations. Well, Philip opened his mouth and began that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And from the preaching of that scripture, the eunuch knew he needed to be baptized and everything else if you read on from that context. No way you get that from reading Isaiah 53, 1 through 12 without the explanation, right? Think about what Simeon said in Luke 2, 22 through 38. When the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of the people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. You know what Simeon sang by the Spirit? Peter didn't understand until Acts 10. The apostles didn't understand until Acts 11. And people were still confused thereafter. But here's Simeon by the Spirit telling of things while Jesus is an infant to come. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them, said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. For a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through his own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanel, of the tribe of Asher, was a great age, and she lived with an husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Look, the prophets had foretold these things of the glory to come, of things to happen. Isaiah said in Isaiah 49, 
1 through 7, listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. Lord hath carved me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath made mention of my name. He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword, and the shadow of his hands hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft, and the quiver hath he hid me. Said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I be glorified. Then said, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for naught, and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him through Israel, or though rather Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, it is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved of Israel. I will give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be salvation unto the ends of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to him whom he man hath despised, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to servants of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes shall also worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel. He shall choose thee. Without the words of the new covenant, no idea who that's talking about. And they got to see the glory of the Lord. Walk in the light, right? John 12, 36. While you, 36 through 41, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things make Jesus and departed and did hide himself from him. But though he'd done many miracles among them, yet they believed not in him. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, or to whom hath the arm of the Lord revealed. Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he should blind their eyes and harden their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, understand with their heart, be converted, and I shall heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Isaiah saw his glory. Isaiah 53, 1 said, Who hath believed our report? To whom the Lord arm is revealed? Blinding their eyes. Uh, you know, Isaiah 6, etc. When you're reading the book of Isaiah, that's not made clear. Not till you come to the new covenant and you get the explanation of what it meant that they saw the glory of the Lord and that they didn't believe the reports. The glory after the suffering of Christ. In Daniel 7, 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions Behold, one like the Son of Man came with clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days, brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and kingdom, that all people, nations, languages serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that's which shall not be destroyed. Like what? Who's, who's Daniel talking about? Well, we come into Colossians 1, 12 through 20, we, and we get to see it. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us to be meet partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light who had delivered us from the power of darkness, has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, and whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him doth all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father, that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things in himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Look at the clarification. The glory after the sufferings of Christ, the kingdom, we get the clarification. Now regarding who people, the people that Peter is talking to, the Gentiles, we've been talking about 1 Peter 2.10 over and over again in, in these podcasts, which in times past were not a people, but now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 
Think about the glory for us, for them. And we get the explanations. In Acts 26, 22, and 23, having Paul talking, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue this day, witnessing both the small and the great, saying none of the things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. See, we get the explanations. But under the law and the prophets, those, those things weren't clear. Back to the prophets. How they did not and were not immediate beneficiaries of what they prophesied of. I think about how the, the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 comes to a conclusion. Verses 39 and 40. And these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Think about that. We know... We know the great benefits that they foretold. We get to see it. Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. But Christ being a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, let's say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered once in the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he's the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for redemption of the transgression that were under the First Testament, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. We get that, right? We get, we get the, the greater picture. How Jesus didn't just reconcile things of earth, but in Colossians 1.20, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So, wow, that's very unclear under the old law. It wasn't given unto them, but they were servants in declaring things which are for us. For us. Wow, wonderful. Now, they got to experience a, a, a paradise. Abraham was in paradise, Luke 16, 19 through 31, before Christ died, before Christ uh, went into heaven to sit on the right-hand throne of God. There was still paradise, but, but they didn't have that concept fully down either. Those mysteries of old, those mysteries were revealed through the preaching of the gospel. In Romans 16, 25 and 26, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. But now, so this is in the first century, is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of the flesh. Now these scattered saints that we're talking about in 1 Peter 1 and verse 1, being mostly Gentiles, again, 1 Peter 2 and verse 10, the mystery that they were part of the, the plan of salvation was kept secret. Was kept secret. In Ephesians, the third chapter, written to Gentiles, verses 1 through 11, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to you, word, how that by revelation he may know unto me the mystery, as I wrote a foreign few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge, the mystery of Christ, 
which in other ages was not made known to the sons of man, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and the same body, partakers of his promise in the gospel by in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me, whom the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the ministry, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, and the intent now that principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, it was a mystery, but now it's revealed. We have it revealed. We have the explanations. And Colossians 1, 26, 27, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages, from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would have made known was the riches of his glory, that this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ to you, the hope of glory. We've got the explanation. We've got it. And the revealer, just as the mystery was revealed by the Holy Ghost, so is the explanation. And Isaiah 59, 21, Isaiah said, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of the seed, seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. The spirit that spoke of times old. Now, 1 Corinthians 2, 6-13, the first century, how be it, Paul writing, we speak wisdom among them which are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the prince of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God and a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they not known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard Neither entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have not received, now we have received, sorry, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but that which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The same Spirit that spoke in times past and gave the mystery, then in the first century gave the explanation of the mystery. Like I mentioned earlier, the Spirit that was fully given to the apostles guided them. When, when Jesus was talking about the work of the Spirit, in Matthew 10, 16 through 20, he said, I send you forth as sheep, talking to the apostles, in the midst of wolves. But ye therefore be therefore as wise as serpents, harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, will scourge you in their synagogues, and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak. It shall be given you that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Look, the apostles didn't have to think. They didn't, like evangelists today, have to study and prepare. You know, when I'm putting together these lessons, I'm studying, I'm preparing, I'm arranging my thoughts, I'm putting together the better scriptures to give the clearest explanation. They didn't have to worry about that. It was given to them at the moment what they should speak. No, didn't have to study, prepare. They had the answers. 
the same spirit which gave the mystery revealed the mystery. The language of the Holy Ghost coming down from heaven was not trying to leave anybody who read that with the idea that the Holy Ghost is physically on earth. It was different than the Old, Old Testament, but the same spirit that spoke through the prophets spoke through the apostles, revealed through men the mystery. From this, we can know that it's not an earthly message. In Galatians 1, 11 and 12, Paul says to the erring Galatians, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. We can understand that inspired men were speaking the words of the Holy Ghost. Think about what's written in the Bible. Like even of old, Acts 1.16, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of days spake concerning Judas, which was God to them that took Jesus. Or in Acts 28.25, when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers and then talked about their rejection of the word. The Holy Ghost guided these men to speak. Not like we like we talked about earlier in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Not their own interpretations, but the direct message of the Almighty. Now, one more fascinating thing. Which thing the angels desire to look into? This, this is marvelous, right? The angels, they were messengers in themselves. Acts 7, 53, where Stephen is talking about who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 2, 1 and 2, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest any time we let them slip. For the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Like we saw when, when we were looking at the book of Daniel, angels were talking to Daniel. Angels were giving revelation. Well, here we see that the angels did not fully know all the things that were to come. And it brings to mind something that I just loved when, when we were studying through the Old Testament here in El Paso a few years back, and I had time to really spend thinking about and pondering some of the things we're talking about right now. I marveled at some of the things that got to study through slowly concerning the prophets. And one thing that stands out to me that's written in the prophets that talks similarly to what Peter is saying here is found in Zechariah chapter 1. I want you to think about Zechariah 1, 7 through 17. It says, Upon the fourth and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month of Sebat, in the second year of Darius, came the, Lord, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. He stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him were the red horses speckled in white. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show you what these be. 
And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Notice. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long will thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? Talking about the 70 years in Babylon. So look at the angel here with a question. Even though they're giving things to the prophets to reveal, they had questions, not just about Christ, but about even the things in the immediate, right? Verse 13, I'll pick back up. Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. I found that fascinating. Don't you think that's just fascinating? The Lord comforting the angel? So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the, the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts. A line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. So you got this conversation between the angel of the Lord, the Lord, and Zechariah the prophet. That's just fascinating stuff. Questions and answers back and forth. Good stuff. So when we look at this, the prophets and the angels that saw the future saw it afar off without the clarification of details. Unto them it was a mystery. When was the mystery explained? Through the gospel. It's like, y'all have to wait. You don't get to see the end. You don't have the script. You don't have the script. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they've got the script. You don't. You don't know what it is to come. That is remarkable. Thank be to God for the angels and the prophets who had before declared the things of which we now benefit, the salvation that was then to come and now has come through Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to them that they revealed it in times past and that we get to be the beneficiaries, even though they didn't know what they were talking about. Wonderful stuff. I hope you've enjoyed this study. I was a little concerned of time. It's been, it's been a long one. Thanks for bearing with me through it. I know I got in a hurry. I want to remind you, there are outlines of these lessons online, and I try to stick pretty close to the outline when I'm doing the podcast. So you can pull them up at my website, wordsoftruth.net. It's uh, If you look up the Bible study page and go to New Testament studies, the outlines are up there the Sundays these podcasts come out. So next week, we're going to talk about 1 Peter 1.13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here and you're listening to these things and you're marveling, you're wondering, whether it's about this or anything in the scriptures, especially if it pertains to the salvation of your soul, I'd love it if you'd get a hold of me. You can call me up at 915-525-5794 or go to my website, wordsoftruth.net. You can contact me through there. We can Skype or FaceTime or communicate in some other way. 
If you're anywhere near me, we can meet in person. I'd love to have that Bible study with you and help you know the things of God more clearly. I hope you're finding these studies to be great. I've loved being able to teach them. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to teach. I just love it. I'm so thankful for you all out there who are listening. And uh, I know that uh, th from, from the statistics I get, the majority that are listening are listening directly from my website. I appreciate that. I appreciate the the opportunity to keep on teaching. As obviously, some of you who are listening have been listening for years, even before the podcast versions. That you know, but I, I love delivering them either way, whether it's live or or pre-recorded. And I'm thankful for you. I hope that if this world continues, you will come back and listen to Tuesday's podcast. I think you'll find it to be an interesting one. I'm excited about it. Looking forward to it. Uh, if all continues in this world and things go according to plan, I will quote unquote, see ya then. Thank you and goodbye.